Good morning, everyone. I'm Peter. Uh, it's my privilege to bring you God's Word this morning. You can follow along with the sermon with the outline that you can see online on our church website. Let me pray. Father God, again, we give you thanks for your Word. We give you thanks, O oh Lord, that your Word teaches us, corrects us, and rebukes us. Help us this morning, O oh Lord, to pay attention to you. Open our hearts to receive your words and give us the determination to leave your word in our lives. Amen. My last job in secular employment was with a startup company. The business started with two of us, <coughs> myself here in Sydney and the CEO who was based in London. We didn't have Zoom then, it didn't exist in 2007. So there were a lot of time spent on the phones, discussing business plans, strategies, and dividing up responsibilities. We agreed that the CEO would take on the commercial aspects, and I took on the technology. I was responsible for the product development and the roadmaps. Back then, I was a technologist, innovator. Some people will call me a dreamer. I always told the CEO then that he had the easy job. He can't really start his work until I'm nearly finished with mine. So we will meet on the phone regularly, but we've made it a point to meet face to face once a month. A lot of traveling for both of us. We met either in London or in Sydney. There were commercial and technology strategies, business plans, timelines that we have to write and then present to the board before we can even start. We were offering something completely new. No one in the world had it. Our market research with potential customers showed that we had an eight-month window to bring a commercially viable product to the market. But all we had back then was just base materials that I would call simple university research quality at best. In other words, we had next to nothing. And rec recruiting good people with great experience was not good enough in my books. We had to get the best of the best, people who were fully on board with what we're doing and what we're developing. You may be sitting there thinking, why am I telling you all this? Well, today's passage is about Jesus calling Levi. It deals with Jesus' choices of his disciples and the ways Jesus dealt with the establishment. It's very counterintuitive. Jesus' ways are not what we expect not what the experts or conventional wisdom would teach us or recommend to us. So when you are creating a new product or starting a new movement, the last person you want associated with your mission is someone whom everyone despises and doesn't trust. You want celebrities. You want social media influencers. You want people with a glowing CV. But Jesus did none of that. So when we read the 
the Gospels, sometimes we have the tendency to read them as just mere stories and would mainly just glean over them. For some of us, stories like today's passage are so familiar to us because we've heard them since our Sunday school days. So let's not make this mistake with this passage today. Let's turn to our Bible. In two verses, Luke records Jesus' calling of Levi. Verse 27, he says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So leaving everything, he got up and began to follow him. Previously, Jesus had called fishermen. Now he called a tax collector. No big deal, you may think. After all, there are Christians working in the ATO. But Christ, uh, Levi was a tax collector in the Roman Empire. The Romans are what I call the original outsourcers. They did not collect the taxes directly themselves. Rather, they would assess a region and demand a fixed amount of taxes and then sold the rights to collect the taxes to the highest bidder. The Romans were only concerned with the taxes they have assessed. As long as they got it, they were happy. The tax collector, on the other hand, could keep whatever he could gather above the fixed amount. Record-keeping and governance were poor at that time, and the system was open to abuse and was often exploited for personal wealth. Tax collectors were regarded as scums in society. They were despised, they were hated, not only for their financial exploitations, but often they were regarded as lackeys of the Romans. So Levi definitely did not fit the profile of someone you would appoint in a new mission. But Jesus saw something special in Levi and called him. And we see that Levi's immediate response was to leave everything and follow Jesus. Notice that Levi did not go and consult his financial planner to figure out whether he had enough savings to live on when he retired from tax collection. He did not seek a career advisor. Unlike the fishermen, Levi could not return to tax collection. He would be unemployable. Levi responded immediately and left his well-paid job to follow Jesus. When you start to think more about this, his response is simply astonishing. Let me tell you why. Today, we are on this side of the cross. On this side of the cross, we know about Jesus. We know why Jesus came. We know of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. We know of his resurrection. Jesus' work on the cross is done. We know Jesus as Savior. But back then, Jesus was just beginning on his mission. And he was putting together his team. And so far, he had some fishermen and now a tax collector. 
That's not very enterprising by today's standards. And Levi and the other disciples were mainly clueless on Jesus' mission on earth. They believed that he was special. They believed he was sent by God. But they had no inkling of Jesus' mission to go and die on the cross and the saving grace of his death, let alone his resurrection. So when God calls, you cannot refuse. So what did Levi do after he quit his job? Verse 29. He had no regrets. He threw a big party. Jesus was the guest of honor. Levi wanted his friends and his colleagues to meet Jesus. This Jesus whom he had decided to give up everything and follow. This, my friends, was an evangelistic party. What a great idea. He had found Jesus. Rather, Jesus had found him. To Levi, this was worth more than anything he had. It was priceless, and he wanted to share it with everyone. He wanted to share the joy of knowing Jesus. So for many of us, we have been Christians for a while. I'd like you to think back to when you became a Christian. Think of the moment you understood the amazing grace and mercy God had shown us in Christ. The moment that we realized that we needed God's healing and His saving grace and that it's futile to rely on our own merit. This is the moment I believe we comprehend, we understand that nothing compares to knowing Christ. For many of us, this was a humbling moment of elation and celebration. It was a moment of joyful tears. The wretched soul that I am, and yet Christ called me and he saved me. Nothing is greater occasion for rejoicing than a soul coming to Christ. Bishop John Rao, the 19th century theologian, wrote, It is far more important than being married or coming of age or being made a nobleman or receiving a great fortune. It is the birth of an immortal soul. It is the rescue of a sinner from hell. It is a passage from death to life. It is being made a king and priest forever. It is being provided for both in time and eternity. It is adoption into the noblest and richest family of all families, the family of God. Beautiful and wonderful words. C.S. Lewis, the great daughter, basically said the similar thing, basically expressed his similar joy at his conversion, but with much fewer words. C.S. Lewis said, while discipleship may cost me my life, the presence of God is cause for celebration. Isn't that true? So there's very little wonder why Levi was elated. 
But the Pharisees and their scribes did not like what they saw or heard. They were not at the party because they did not want to be seen to be associating with sinners. They were outraged as Jesus' lapse of judgment in eating with sinners. Jesus kept the wrong company. This was not the behavior you would expect from a man of God. But what did Jesus say? Verse 31. Jesus replied to them, It is not for those who are healthy who needs a doctor, but those who are sick. I have come to, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Contrast this. The Pharisees thought they knew God because they knew the Scriptures. Levi, on the other hand, knew he needed God. The Pharisees thought that they were righteous before God because they were religious and had strict observance of the laws and rituals. Levi, on the other hand, knew he was alienated from God and needed God's forgiveness. The Pharisees did not believe Jesus was from God because of their warped traditional understanding of God. Levi believed Jesus because Jesus called him and offered him new life. The Pharisees were concerned about their public image. They did not want to be seen with people they despised. Levi was simply overwhelmed with joy by having Jesus with him. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to call those who knew they were sinners, not those who think they are righteous. He came to give us new life, our sins forgiven, and a life guaranteed living with God our Creator in eternity. That was Jesus' mission. And that's such wonderful news. However, not satisfied, they questioned Jesus some more. We read that in verse 33. They questioned why Jesus and his disciples did not fast, like the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist. Fasting was only commanded once in the entire Old Testament, in Leviticus and it was implicitly connected with the Day of Atonement. Even then, fasting became widespread. There are a number of references to fasting in the Bible that I've given you in the outline to look up when you have the time. But remember that Jesus himself fasted. But with this appropriate fastings came abuse and man-made rules. In their misguided devotion and piety, the Pharisees fasted twice a week on the second and fifth day of the week. They believed their fasting brought them self-achieved holiness. The Pharisees were the inventors of the 5-2 diet, my friends. In their strict religious observance of rites and rituals, they have failed to recognize their alienation from God 
they have adopted a work-for-righteousness model and viewed religious piety as solemn and joyless. The Pharisees have failed to recognize man's propensity to sin and our separation from God. To pretend that they are good and righteous is ultimately man's sin. We need God. Jesus answered them in verse 34, and he said, You can't make the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them, can you? But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. Traditionally, a newly married Jewish couple did not go on honeymoon, but stayed home for a week-long open house, during which time there was continual feasting and celebration. The bride and groom were treated like king and queen, and wedding guests were exempted from all fasting because the rabbi had agreed to it. Jesus saw himself as the groom and declared that his presence justified a feast and his disciples, his followers, had the joyous privilege of a perpetual wedding party. But there would come a time, as Jesus explained, when the disciples would fast. A time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them That happened at the cross. The disciples were lost, confused, afraid. Jesus had died on the cross. But their sorrow gave way to the joy of the resurrection, followed by the ascension and Christ being seated at the right hand of God now. Christ is alive. Christ is with us. That is cause for celebration. But Jesus also went on to use everyday life situations to highlight the Pharisees' blindness and to show the significance of his ministry. The first involved patching new garment, new unshrunk material onto an old garment. I suspect that all of us would have a favorite piece of clothing. Mine is a rugby top, which is more than 30 years old. Right? The material's frayed, and honestly, it looks disgusting. Every year, I would tell Debbie, it's time to throw it away. The best I can do is take a few steps towards the bin. Today, not only do I still have it, but I've only worn it only a few weeks ago. I should bring it in the office one day. (laughs) It never crossed my mind to go and buy a new top and cut it up so that I can use the new materials to patch up my favorite jumper. It is simply ludicrous, the idea of buying a new jumper, cut it up, and then patch it onto my old you destroy both garments. I'm just better off wearing the new jumper. Jesus next used the analogy of wineskins. In biblical times, 
wineskins were made from the whole skins of goats that were lightly tanned and sewn together. Back then, they didn't have the technology we have today. The large stainless steel tanks or the barrels that you see in wineries today, these are used to ferment new wines. The natural elasticity and strength of the new wine skin would allow the fermenting new wine to expand. However, if you put new wine into old wine skins, the old wine skins are brittle, taut. It would cause the old wine skins to burst as the new wines ferment, thus destroying both the wine and the wine skins. Jesus said that he had come to bring us life and to give it to us abundantly. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. The new life we have in Christ replaces the old one. It is not a supplement. We cannot cling on to the old ways, our old comforts, our old securities. We cannot hold on to our old traditions or way of life that hinders us from the new life in Christ. There will be some who not only want to take bits and pieces of Jesus' message and to stitch them into the fabric of their old ways and their old ideas. There will be other people who want not some of the new or some of the old, but they want all of the new, provided they can keep the old as well. Friends, we cannot simply pick and choose areas of the Christian life that are attracted and appealing to us. We cannot just disregard the areas where it will be costly. Yet there will be others who are not even prepared to taste the new wines. Verse 39. They are comfortable with their old lives or they deceive themselves and think they are good people. They prefer their old ways and are not willing to check out the new life in Christ. If this is you, then let me encourage you, challenge you, to explore the new life that Christ offers you. It will not be what you expect. Jesus came not only to heal, not only to perform miracles, he came to die for our sake, for our sins to be forgiven. His death on the cross reconciled us to God our Creator. His resurrection conquered death. Check out our Christianity Explored course. As followers of Christ, our new lives must be rooted and firmly planted in Christ. Paul, writing to Romans in chapter 12, encourages us 
do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So what can we learn from today's passage in Luke? A few points. Levi, as we see, was a society paria. He was hated, he was despised. Yet, Jesus chose him. This must be a great comfort to all of us. There is no aptitude test to follow Jesus. No matter how messed up our lives are, no matter how hopeless and unredeemable we think we are, there is real hope. Jesus sees us as special and can make us into something beautiful for us. Paul wrote these beautiful words in Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 4. Paul wrote that God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love he has for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. Further in verse 8, he says, For we are saved by grace through faith, and that is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. Verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship, created for good works. We are special in God's eyes and have a personal relationship with God, and he is present with us. So like Levi, this knowledge must surely fill us with joy and elation. At the end of his life, John Newton, who you know wrote that beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace, at the end of life, John Newton said to a friend, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I am a great sinner but Jesus is a great saviour. That new life in Christ requires a complete change. There is no clinging on to our old habits, our old traditions, our old way of life. Colossians remind us that since we have put off the old self of its practices, we put on the new self. We are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of the Creator. To Levi, nothing compares to knowing Christ. His wealth was nothing compared to the riches he has in Christ. What about us? We are still going to be anxious. We're still going to have our worries. The pandemic is still active. We still live in it. In our lives, we will be facing challenges, stresses. There will be pains, there will be sorrows. There is grief, there is suffering, there are tears. But above all, there is the inner joy and peace that comes from knowing Christ. There is the assured joy and hope, knowing that we will be with God and he will wipe away every tears from our eyes. Death will be no more. 
Knowing Christ and knowing God's grace and mercy gives us that perpetual joy. Like Levi coming to Christ changes our lives and it's a great reason for celebration with Christ as the guest of honour. Without Christ, there is no celebration. So as we look forward to tomorrow, sure, we are tired, we are exhausted throughout this lockdown. But as we come out of the lockdown restrictions tomorrow, let me encourage you, let us celebrate the joy of the new life we have in Christ with our friends, families, and our colleagues. Let us pray. Father God, we give you thanks for you are God. We give you thanks that, Lord, the wretched soul that we are, you called us to follow you. Help us, a Lord, to follow you completely and help us, a Lord, to be joyful and to celebrate the new life we have in you every day. Amen.